you'll take your Bibles and turn with us to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and I will say I've enjoyed uh, being here these days with you, and I thank God for the opportunity to come. The pastor and I have had good fellowship, and uh, what time we got to, we tried Monday night, and uh, the hurricane came through, you know, and so but we did get to go out last night in fellowship and just enjoy time with him and his family, and I know you know this, but uh, you ought to thank God every day for your preacher, amen, and uh, pray for him, amen. Oh, I say this in every church I go in, three things you ought to do for your preacher. Number one, pray for him, amen, and then number two, pay for him, amen. Uh, preacher worth praying for, surely worth paying for him, and, uh, and then protect him, amen, protect his family, and you never know what they go through and what they have to face, and they certainly need your prayers. The singing has been so good every night. And uh, I've enjoyed every song uh, that's been sung, just ministered to my heart. And I just thank the Lord for that. I'm sorry about the preaching, but the singing's been good. Amen. That's as good as it's going to get. But if you'll stand with us tonight, Luke chapter 23. And I had this message on my heart this morning when I got up. And it's just stayed there all day long. And so I pray the Lord will speak to us tonight. Luke chapter 23. I will begin reading in verse number 33. The Bible says, when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Heavenly Father, I ask you, Lord, now to bless the reading of thy word. I pray the Holy Spirit would give us liberty and vocabulary these next few moments. God, I pray that you would be glorified. May your son be magnified and the church edified tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the invitation, do what you that needs to be done, what you want to do tonight. And, Lord, I ask that we would all leave here tonight saying it's been good to be in the house of God. And certainly we could say that you are precious to us tonight. I ask you now to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Notice with me that phrase in verse 33. I know that it is a phrase that stands out in all of our mind. The Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. And you know, when you think about Calvary, we're familiar with it tonight. We've heard a lot of preaching on Calvary, but there is no place like Calvary. Amen. I think we could say safely tonight that Calvary is a monumental place in all of our life. It's special to us tonight as Christians. We you may have never been to the physical address of Calvary, but with the songwriter tonight, if you've been saved, you can say, I've been to Calvary and I've seen the Lord. Amen. It's a monumental place in the life of a believer. And then Calvary is a miraculous place when you think about the miracles of the cross, the rent veil and the rocks that rent, the earthquake, and you think about the graves that were opened and those that came out of the grave and all the miracles that surrounded Calvary, the greatest of all miracles again is what the songwriter said is the greatest of all miracles is when the Lord saved me. Amen. And Calvary is a miraculous place. It is a monumental place. And then it is a marvelous place. Uh, uh, We worship because of Calvary. We sing because of Calvary. The common denominator in all of our life tonight as to why we are here is Calvary. Amen. If you take Calvary out of the equation then we have no hope. 
hope. We have no future. We have no victory tonight. The songwriter, the uh, the scripture says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse number fifty-seven, the apostle Paul said, "But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." And victory was won at Calvary. Amen. That means I'm not working for victory. I'm not working toward victory. But thank God, I'm working from victory. Amen. And when you think about Calvary tonight, uh, we know that at Calvary, Jesus had seven sayings. I'm sure you've heard uh, preaching on it. Your pastor has no doubt probably preached on it uh, uh, before. The seven sayings of the cross. Amen. And I'm not preaching on the seven sayings of the cross tonight. But what is interesting about those seven sayings is that three of the seven sayings of the cross uh, is prayers on the, the lips of our Lord. Amen. While Jesus may have made seven statements, seven sayings, while He was on the cross. Three of them was prayers. And amongst everything that we could think about Calvary, we know that Calvary is a place of pain. And it was a place of punishment. Calvary was a place of poverty. The Bible said that he that was rich became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Uh, uh, Calvary was a place of poverty. When a man went to the cross, he had nothing else left. Uh, One writer I read one time made this statement. He said, when you see a man going out of town carrying a cross, there's one thing you can be certain of, and that is he's not coming back. Amen? And when Jesus went out of town and He carried that cross, He became poor. And they crucified the most important, the most influential, and the most innocent man that ever walked the face of this earth. Jesus died at Calvary, and He died for me, and He died for you. Amen? So Calvary was a place of poverty, and Calvary was also a place of prosperity because He died. Thank God I'm rich tonight. Amen? And Calvary is a place of peace. Uh, We found peace through the blood of His cross. Amen? And Calvary's a place of pardon. There's so many things we could talk about that Calvary is. But what I'm interested in tonight is this. What was Calvary? Not to the sinner. Not to the saint. But what was Calvary to the Savior? Because what Jesus does in verse 34, our text tonight, is He turns Calvary into a place of prayer. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. Calvary, the place of prayer. We find here in verse number 34, this is the first saying on the cross. But more importantly than it being the first saying, it is the first prayer on the cross. And when we think about Jesus, He lived His whole life by prayer. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 said, And rising up a great while before day, he went out into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus, his first sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he spoke about a lot of subjects. He talked about fasting and giving, and he preached on adultery, he preached on divorce, uh, he, pro- he preached on a lot of different subjects. He, uh, he gave the Beatitudes in that first sermon. But woven throughout all them different points, there is that one subject that keeps coming up in chapter 6 and chapter 7, and it is that of prayer. Amen? He talked about the place of prayer. He said, when thou prayest, enter into thy 
thy closet when thou shut the door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. He talked about the pattern of prayer as he gave that model prayer. As he said, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, that was a pattern that Jesus gave. He taught us how to pray. In fact, we don't have time tonight, but there are six things that Jesus gave in that model prayer. And if a Christian would just take ten minutes and practice those six things, we could do what our Savior said when He said, what could you not watch one hour in prayer? And then in chapter 7, He gave the promise of prayer. As He said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And to him that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus lived His life by prayer. He preached about it. He practiced it. He prayed in the desert. He prayed in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights as He fasted. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration until His humanity gave way to His deity and the glory of God literally ran out His face. He is the image of the Father. Amen. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here in our text tonight, He prays on the cross. Three prayers of our Lord tonight, I want you to notice. Calvary. This place of prayer. Here we find in verse number 34, this I call the first prayer because it is the first prayer. And in this first prayer, I want you to notice uh, three little things in his first prayer in verse 34. I want you to see first of all his Father. The Bible said, Then said Jesus, Father. That's interesting tonight for this reason. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas brought the soldiers and they arrested Jesus? Jesus was taken to the soldiers by the soldiers in the middle of the night. They took him before the Sanhedrin. He stood before that mock trial and they brought in their false witnesses with their false accusations. Uh, they smacked our Lord uh, and beat upon him as he stood there. And the Bible says he held his peace. Isn't that right? Then he was taken to Pilate. He stood before Pilate. He had very little to say to Pilate. Pilate, once he found out that he was in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. He had nothing to say to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. He had very little to say to Pilate again. Pilate sent him to the common hall. He was scourged by the soldiers. And as our Lord stood there and they mocked him, they put a reed in his right hand, a crown of thorns on his head, and a purple robe on his back. Jesus wore all three of these things uh, until he got to the cross. And the only thing he wore on the cross uh, was the crown of thorns that represented our sin. But as Jesus stood in that common hall, He didn't say anything as they spit in His face and they beat upon Him. Jesus had nothing to say as He stood there. Carried His cross out the, through the streets of Jerusalem and outside of town. 
That Via Della Rosa, he carried that cross all the way to Calvary's brow. The angry mob the mocked him. Even the thieves, the Bible said they cast the same sayings in their teeth and, and they were cursing our Lord. And Jesus, all the way to Calvary, had hardly anything to say except to a few women. As they walked behind him, he stopped for just a moment and said, Women, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and weep for your children. You say, Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus didn't have much to say. As he was taken from prison to judgment. But when he got on the cross, there was somebody he wanted to talk to. There was somebody he wanted to say something to. Everyone else is talking to him. He's saying very little, but at Calvary and on that rugged cross that day, he turns it into a place of prayer. And the first person he wants to talk to is his father. I want to tell you tonight, the first person that we ought to want to talk to every day of our life should be our Father. I see in His first prayer, His Father. Then I see His forgiveness. Notice the second word. He said, Father, forgive. It's interesting that Jesus, as He's on the cross, the, the very first thing He wants to do is speak to His Father. And the very first thing He wants to talk about is the matter of forgiveness. And preacher, you know tonight, uh, you would agree with this, forgiveness is a wonderful thing. We all would agree that forgiveness is a wonderful thing. We sing about it and we shout about it and we praise God for forgiveness. And it is a wonderful thing until we're called upon to do it. You know, the, one of the hardest things for the flesh to do is to forgive people. But yet we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4 and verse number 29 and said, Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. You know, if you have a cold heart, you're going to have a hard time forgiving. But a tender heart is easier to find forgiveness than a cold heart or a callous heart. But he said, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. You know, tonight when I think about Jesus here in this text here, He has been, these people have committed a double sin. They have sinned against the Father in the fact that they have rejected the Son, but they've sinned against the Son in the fact that they have crucified Him and He was not worthy of death. But yet Jesus is willing to forgive them. And preacher, I've heard people make this statement, but it's not true. People have said, well, you know, I'll forgive somebody if they'll just ask for it. But what's interesting about verse 34 is that this crowd is not asking for their for forgiveness, but He forgave them anyway. You know, there might be somebody here tonight and say, Preacher, do you really believe God would forgive me? I can assure you that He will because He already has. Amen? You see, forgiveness is ours for the taking if we're willing to receive it tonight. We have been forgiven. God has forgiven us because of His Son, Jesus. And Jesus asked or, or Jesus prayed for their forgiveness from a crowd for a crowd that did not ask for it and for a crowd that would not appreciate it. You know what you're going to have to do in life sometimes? You're going to have to forgive people whether they ever ask for it and whether they ever appreciate it. You say, but preacher, they, they, they're just, they've never got right and you want me to forgive them? Yes, because forgiveness isn't so much about them always. It's about you. Amen. Jesus looked at Judas one day and called him his friend. You know, you think about this. Judas was not a friend. He was a betrayer. He was a liar, a deceiver, a thief. That's what Judas really was. But here's another fact. Jesus cannot lie. So if Jesus calls a man his friend, then he has to be his friend. 
You say, but he wasn't a friend. I'm going to tell you, he was. Because friendship in the eyes of our Lord and forgiveness in the eyes of our Lord did not depend on that end, but it depended on this end. And friendship and forgiveness has everything to do with me, not so much to do with them. I know that we have to ask for forgiveness to be saved, but what I'm simply saying is our Lord on the cross of Calvary here in His first prayer, He's praying to, to forgive a crowd that did not ask for it, that did not appreciate it. I want to say tonight, I'm glad I've been forgiven and I'm glad I can forgive others because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see His Father. I see His forgiveness. And then I see His foes. Notice Jesus said, Father, forgive them. These were enemies of the cross. These were people that had gathered around to watch Jesus die. They were enjoying what they were seeing. In their mind, he was getting what was coming to him, and they were eager to watch him take his last breath. While man was at his worst, in verse number 34, God was at his very best. Amen? While man was hating him, Christ was loving them. I want to say, if we've ever seen a picture of the love of God, it's in verse number 34. Jesus is showing love and forgiveness to those that is showing cruelty and pain and hatred toward him. Friend, if that is not the pinnacle of what real Christianity is, then I don't know what it is. I'm not telling you that's where I'm at tonight. But I'm telling you, it's where I need to be. Amen. I'm just simply saying in his first prayer, we learn about his father. We learn about his forgiveness and we learn about his foes. But I want you to notice another prayer. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We see this first prayer. But I want us to see this second prayer. This second prayer is the fourth saying of the cross. And I call this prayer the forsaken prayer. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 46. The Bible says in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I want you to notice in this forsaken prayer, I want you to notice his approach to God. Because in this verse, he doesn't call him Father. He calls him God. In the first prayer, he calls him his Father. In the final prayer, He will call Him as Father. But in this prayer, as He approaches God, He does not call Him as Father, but He calls Him God. Notice He says it two different times. My God, my God. I believe that's because the fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Father and the Spirit has been broken. And He's praying and He comes before the Father. And He does not call Him His Father, but He calls Him His God. Why is that? Because sin has separated the fellowship between the Father and the Spirit and the Son. I want to say while there was a division or while there was a, a division in this fellowship, there was no division in the Trinity. Amen? What I mean by that is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they were all in perfect unity. Amen? Uh, they knew this is what had to take place. They knew that in order for you and I to be brought into fellowship with God, fellowship had to be broken between them. Isn't that interesting to know that? That God is interested and that God was willing and that the Son was willing to break fellowship with the Father so we could have fellowship. That's unity tonight. He knew it had to take place. And I see here the approach, my God, my God. Then I see not only the approach, but the abandonment. It's interesting. The Bible said He 
said, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? You know, sometimes in life, we feel like we've been forsaken. We even feel like we've been forsaken by God. I'm sure everybody here tonight could raise their hand. You don't have to, but would say, I have been forsaken. I have felt like I have been forsaken by God. But yet, you know what we can do? We can go to the Bible and we can open up and we can find a promise where God said in His Word, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, that helps me whenever I feel like in my flesh that I have been forsaken. I can go to that promise. I can claim that promise. But can I tell you something? Jesus not only felt it, but it was a fact. It wasn't just a feeling. There was no verse for our Savior to run to and claim a promise. This was a fact. The Father really did turn His back on the Son. He turned His face away from Him. It's the ninth hour. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. For three hours there's been darkness upon the, the face of this earth. And Jesus is, is hanging there in that darkness. And He really, the Bible says He became sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What that means is, is that Jesus not only died for me, and He not only died for you, but He died as me, and He died as you. He literally took my sin and became sin for me. He became the substitute. He took my place as me and you on the cross. And He died there as our substitute and our sacrifice. And while He's hanging there in all that darkness, He feels that for Forsakenness is God withdraws His face. He does not look upon His Son as He becomes you and I at Calvary and bears our seat on the cross. And God turns His face away. And in that moment, He's abandoned by His Father. I see the abandonment. Jesus, not only His abandonment, not only His approach, but I want you to see His attitude to God. In this prayer, I was looking at it one day, preacher, and I thought, you know, this is a sad prayer. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, it almost seems like a prayer that offers no hope whatsoever. Our Lord asking God, why? Jesus at a point where he puts a question mark on what's taking place. I want to tell you tonight, there's no question mark in his mind in this prayer. He knows what's happening. He prays, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his moment of, of despair, of carrying the, the burden and the weight of sin, he cries out. But with this attitude of prayer toward God, he is, you say, well, preacher, there's no faith in this prayer. And when I read that, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, there's no faith in this prayer. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is at the utter bottom and he feels like his father has forsaken but I want to tell you, there is faith in this prayer. In fact, I'm convinced tonight that this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, prayer of faith in all the Word of God. You say, where do you see faith in this prayer? Look at the first word. It's mentioned two times. He says, my God. My God. Jesus feels forsaken because it's a fact. Jesus is praying in the darkness. But yet, regardless of what he calls him God, because the fellowship has been broken, but he's still his God. He's still, he's God, but he's my God. 
In all this darkness and all this blackness and all of what I feel and what I'm facing and, and what is really a fact, Jesus cries out, says, he, I'm going to pray anyway, regardless of what I'm facing, regardless of what I'm feeling, regardless of what the facts are. I'm still going to pray. Lord, why would you do that? Because He's my God. And the fellowship is broken. But He had faith knowing that the relationship was still there. He was still the Father. He was still the Son. And Jesus knew that when this was over with and when the sin debt had been paid, that that fellowship was going to be restored. He had faith. And so he prayed through the darkness. Amen. You know, sometimes you got to pray in spite of what you face. you got to pray in spite of what you feel. You've got to pray in spite of the facts. Amen. The odds may really be stacked against you tonight. They're stacked against all of us, if you want to be honest. But thank God if there's one principle that Calvary proves, it is this. Uh, that there really is no place on earth. There really is no time that you and I cannot pray. We can pray when the world has stripped us of everything we've got, just like they did our Savior. They nailed Him to a cross. Uh, listen, but He prayed on anyway. He could pray in spite of what he was going through. You might be here tonight and say, Preacher, you don't know the darkness I'm facing. And I don't. But I promise you, the storm clouds in your life, they're not as dark as they were in his life. Jesus can pray in this darkness. You and I can pray in whatever darkness we face. I see the forsaken prayer. The first prayer. But I want you to go back to Luke chapter 23 with me tonight for just a moment. And I want you to see this final prayer. This is the last saying of our Lord as He's on the cross. And it's not just the last saying, but it's His final prayer. It's the last person that He's going to talk to before He leaves this world. It's His Father. The Bible said in verse number 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. You know what's so great about this verse tonight? Is that these are the last words of our Savior before He dies. This is the last person that He talks to before He dies. And in these final moments, He's fixing to yield up the ghost. When He finishes this statement, He dies. He dismisses His spirit. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross in those final moments, He really teaches us in this final prayer how every Christian ought to die. You say, what do you mean, Brother Gravely? I want to say first of all, he died in this verse with a prayer on his lips. You realize how Jesus died? He died how he lived. He lived his whole life by prayer. And he died by prayer. And if you want to know what he's doing right now, he's praying. The Bible said he ever liveth to make intercession for us. I promise you. I don't know who all has prayed for you and not prayed for you today. But I know one person that's prayed for all of us today. Not just once, not just twice, but multiple times. He ever lived to make intercession. You see, prayer wasn't just something Jesus did while He was here on earth. He did it before He came to this earth. Talking to His Father is something that He does on a regular basis. And so when He left, he, He's still talking to His Father. But what's precious about it is He's talking to His Father about me and He's talking to His Father about you. I'll tell you, we ought to talk to God because Jesus talks to God. And here in His hour, of, of, of death when he's fixing to draw his final breaths. You know what he does? He dies with a prayer on his lips. 
because he didn't wait till the end to pray. He not only dies with a prayer on his lips, but he dies with the Word of God on his mind. You see, this is Psalms 31 and verse 6. Jesus is quoting the Word of God. He's dying preacher. He's got a prayer on his lips. He's got the Word of God on his mind. I tell you, when I leave this world, that's how I want to leave. I want to leave with a prayer on my lips and with the Word of God on my mind. He's thinking about the Word of God, the Scriptures. You say, why? Because he found comfort in that. I want to tell you, in our hour of despair, in our hour of, of heartaches, when we walk through the valley, you know the two greatest things in the Christian life? You know what they are? It's prayer and the Word of God. If you're going to live in victory, you're going to have to learn how to have a personal prayer life and live in the Word of God. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you've got to be filled with the Scriptures and spend time in prayer. That's where our victories at. That's where our peace is at. That's where our joy is. And Jesus is getting ready to die. Dies with a prayer on his lips. He dies with the word of God on his mind. Then I notice in this phrase here, he dies in the Father's hands. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You know, that's how every Christian dies. We die in his hands. Oh, Brother Ed Blue used to sing that song, The Unseen. And it's true tonight, isn't it? When you think about Jesus, when He started this journey to the cross, He was in the soldiers' hands. Then He was taken to Pilate, or the Sanhedrin, He was in the Sanhedrin's hands. Then He was taken to Pilate, He was in Pilate's hands. Then He was taken to Herod, and He was in Herod's hands. And then He was sent back to Pilate again, He was in Pilate's hands. Then in the soldiers' hands, they scourged Him and mocked Him. And then He was in the angry mob's hands. He walked up to the top top of Calvary. He was in the soldiers' hands once again. He passed through a lot of hands, but all the while, I'm going to tell you, while he was in all them hands, he was always in his Father's hands. He knew he was in the will of God. And dying in the will of God, he knew he was in the Father's hands. I want to tell you tonight, it is good to be in the Father's hands. I'm glad I'm in His hands. You say, preacher, what are we going to do with all that's happening around this country? I don't know. And I don't know about tomorrow. And I don't know about next week. And I don't know where you're at. You don't know where I'm at. And I know one thing. I know that I'm in His hands. I know that 30-something years ago in a little old storefront building, I rode a church bus to, uh, to church one Sunday morning. And I got saved. And thank God I've been in His hands ever since. Uh, and I was in His hands before then. I'm not a Calvinist. Uh, but I know that God is sovereign tonight and I know that God knows how to take care of us and it's good to know that I'm in his hands tonight Calvary the place of prayer I want to ask you this question as we stand tonight and as they come and get us a song ready I want to ask you this question tonight how's your prayer life where are you at in your prayer life. I, I, that's, that's a personal question that only you know. But I want to tell you this. Jesus took the worst place on earth. To the soldiers, it was just a place of punishment. To us that are saved tonight, it's a place of heart. But to our Lord, it became personal because He turned it into a place of prayer. And He showed us that you can take anywhere, anytime, any place. And you can pray. Tonight, while our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, she's playing softly. If you need to use the altar, would you come tonight?